be great. Always so share toast with your closest mates. It's your birthday today. Mike. Autobots, transform and roll out! Hey there, folks. Welcome back for another thrilling episode of Two Mikes, Two Furious Animated Transformers, where two folks who have almost the same name talk about Transformers Animated one episode at a time from two different points of view. My name is Mike Seibert. I have never watched Transformers Animated all the way through until this project. But joining me on this journey is my Spark Soul brother. It's it's Michael Andrews. How we doing, buddy? Hey, hey, good Mike, good Mike. Proud, How are you? About now, I you know what? <laughs> I am coked up on pixie sticks, and I am living my best life because <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you know this or not. But uh, today is my birthday. Whoa! Yes. No way. And it's funny, like in getting ready for this recording and doing this episode. I suddenly feel very connected to Sorry Sumdak in that in the Soundwave episode because it's like because I remember being kind of critical about that at the time. It's like, what is her problem? She's just being shitty to everybody. <laughs> and I I have been having a day like that where I'm just like We're gonna party like it's your birthday. We're gonna sip a card like it's your birthday. And you know we don't give a fuck because that's your birthday. You'll find me in the club. Like was having breakfast this morning and I found myself just like unintentionally just like bopping my shoulders and stuff like I was doing a little dance because it's like oh, I get to hang out great. with Michael Andrews. We're gonna talk about Transformers animated. <laughs> so I'm uh I I am just like unreconcilably coked up on birthday energy so you're on you're on cloud 10 yes uh nine wasn't good enough you're on cloud <laughs> i'm 10. like screw this well and and it's a little bit of like a a half landmark uh birthday for me also so like rather than than feeling the weight of existential dread instead of it's just like woo, i'm still doing the thing so I'm, uh, yeah. I'm I'm really excited for uh really excited for this episode and I'm really excited for my for my birthday day. I got a whole bunch of uh, stuff that I'm going to be doing and and uh, it's it's going to be fun times. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. We should talk about that more sure. uh, because first of all, happy birthday. Oh my gosh. Thanks, buddy. I am the number one birthday celebrator. Uh and I was like you know where you thought sorry was being a little shit i was like you could be going a little harder actually birthday wise <laughs> like you're kind of like coming in under the wire yeah, here yeah. for me uh but that's awesome i think the i think the unhappiest people in the world are the people that don't make a big deal about their birthdays yeah. i think it's i think it takes more energy to pretend like you're not excited about your birthday than it does to just let her rip 
It's it's funny you mention that because you know when when we find ourselves in like our postmodern twenties and maybe even early thirties, it's kind of just like, oh, I'm just celebrating getting old. But like yeah. now now that now that there's fours in front of the, those numbers, my my perspective has gone back the other direction, and I'm kind of, I mean. I, I, I'm kind of uh, celebrating my 45th birthday kind of the same way that I celebrated my fifth birthday, that kind of thing, or maybe my 15th. <laughs> yeah. oh, Actually, yeah. no, not my 15th birthday, because that one, uh, I, I, I will tell a very brief story that that was kind of like at the height of, you know, kids these days, the the millennials and the Gen Z folks might call it a, a emu phase or where I was like super emo. At the time, I just called it moody because I was just like, I was just, I, I don't remember what what bug crawled up my butt, but I was I was just like a holy terror. Like my mom had asked me what kind of birthday cake I wanted or what I wanted on my birthday cake. And I'm like, yeah, fuck if I care. I'm like, you know, put put like, you know, I don't know, get like skull and crossbones for all I care, whatever. Yeah. And I'm just gonna ash out in it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and uh so we we lived uh we lived in apartments at the time and there was uh a you know like apartment community cabana type of thing where you know it was kind of like a community space there was like pool tables and and all that actually like a really cool cool space thinking about it in retrospect but i i just i just wanted none of it and it was and i think part of it hey this is crystallizing now um part of it was like as I was at 15, as I am at 45, time management and scheduling and notice isn't uh, isn't my first best strength. So I, I I remember this very vividly. I had to walk to the gas station payphone to to drop a dime literally and and call some of my friends up i was like oh hey man it's uh you know my my birthday's tomorrow you want to come out no dude i'm i you know i got other plans sorry and i had like three different conversations like that where it's Oof. like so basically at this at this birthday party for me was like my parents my girlfriend at the time and uh and a bunch of my mom's friends and I was, I was just, but none of my friends. So I was, I was, I was like being like unreconcilably crabby about it. And so like, you know, it comes out for like birthday cake and, uh, and it's the, the skull and crossbones cake that I had, uh, set over <laughs> my shoulder to my mom. And I'm just like, come on, man. And, and it's so funny because like at the time that made me more mad, like everything was like compounding onto it. And like, right. but in retrospect, freaking awesome cake. Cause like, it was like yeah. in the shape of a skull with like some, like, you know, frosty crossbones on it. And, oh, cool. and it was like a, it was like a red velvet cake. So you cut into it and it's all like red inside and stuff. Blood, 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 yeah, blood, blood, yeah, blood, metal blood. as fuck. And like that, that should have made me the happiest boy ever. And instead it just made me more crabby. And I, and I remember my girlfriend at the time was like, well, Hey man, you want to go play some pool? I'm like, I don't want to play pool. I just want to sit here and be mad. <laughs> a rump, <laughs> like literally, 
literally folded yeah. my arms and said, harumph. And like, I think you are sorry someday, yeah. even more than I thought, <laughs> except there, there was, there was no music box in there that swang its arms, uh, in there. In no, there it was just you spitting in the punch bowl for the yes! entirety of the, punch. yes, <laughs> <laughs> there weren't no Daniel Witwicky showing up or, uh, or nothing. So, but I guess from, from that day, forward i i learned a lesson in you know how shitty i was and i vowed to never be that that shitty again and i forget where i was going with this story but like basically like as i've gotten older you know i i try to kind of treat myself but not go overboard because like the, the the thing about being an adult is you don't necessarily have those childhood birthday parties where like all of your friends come over and they bring you like presents and stuff, you know, there, there's no like, you know, unwrapping the, the Ewok village type of type of moments or anything like that. So, you know, usually like I, I make it a point to get myself something that I, I wouldn't have otherwise, you know, that, that, so that, that's kind of some of my uh, birthday traditions. So the thing I'm doing today, the thing I'm doing uh, uh, this year for myself, and and I've been, it's the same routine regardless of if if it's my birthday or not. But like every, um, like six to eight weeks, I return to my adoptive hometown. Where it's, I mean, it's not where I grew up, but it's where my wife and I lived for 15 years. Going back to Federal Way, and I have like this whole list of stuff that I do. It's it's very much like a self care day. I I go and get my hair cut. I do some toy hunting. There happens to be two Walmarts and a Target very close by. So, you know, I'm I'm on the look for those sclusies and the comic shop that that I used to go to until we moved a few years ago is there. So I I, it's it's kind of like a a homecoming of sorts. And uh, and and speaking of the Walmart there, there's a kettle corn dude out there. So oh. I, I, I got, I got to get me some of that, <laughs> some of that sweet, sweet corn. Um, yeah. So, but that is your jam. Oh, uh, I, I, I love it. I love it. Well, and I just, I, I love the perspective that there's, I mean, like, cause I mean, that's like, you know, farmer's market county fair type of stuff right you don't you don't expect a dude to have like you know like a like a cast iron uh kettle just uh, just making popcorn (laughs) right outside the walmart where where i'm trying to trying to track down toys so it's like it's it's just like a handful of things um all together so uh you know i have like these kind of like saturday rituals that i do and 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 now it just kind of happens to kind of happens to to follow uh fall on my birthday which you know i just kind of you know gotta stand up a little taller that kind of thing and you know maybe uh maybe look for some stuff that uh actually the the thing that i'm looking for because i i said i you know usually treat myself to things i wouldn't have bought otherwise can I do a little toy talk uh, real quick before, oh, before yeah, we go? Please. So recently, oh. now, folks that know me from, you know, I, either my other podcast, Mike Seibert Radio, or my other social medias, my signature Transformers collection is that I'm really into the War for Cybertron uh, Siege Sideswipe mold. I have all of them 
all 14 of them. And as they make oh. more of them, I will continue to get more of them. I just recently got the Shattered Glass version in that two pack with uh, Shattered Glass oh. Rodimus. And I want that so bad, Mikey. And, so bad. And that and that Rodimus is metal as fuck. It's like, I mean, just with like the black and the purple and the silver, it's like I love that figure in a way that I I wasn't anticipating. Like I love Studio Series 86 Hot Rod because, well, he's Hot Rod from the movie. It's like it's, you know, we, we could talk all day about like pink hot rod and how cool that is i think that studio series hot rod gets like just the right shade of magenta to where it it covers any version of the movie that you're watching it really Mm. it really gets the right balance i think i've gotten into fights with people over twitter about it i'm like no it's it's not pink enough i'm like you know it's pink enough trust me it's fine anyway i'm i'm a huge fan of the the sideswipe mold and recently the Walmart exclusive uh, Toxicron collection is like, you know, it's all these like unproduced prototypes from the 90s for uh, for G2. And one of them was Sideswipe and where he he is just screaming yellow and um, yeah. went up on Pulse, sold out immediately. Um, this figure is very hard to find because he's only one per case. It's almost a, a Velocitron Cosmo situation where it's like, yeah. you know, he's he's getting increasingly hard to find. And I was getting frustrated because I wasn't finding him. But then I get a note from my buddy Jason, host of the Cracktastic Plastic podcast and says, hey, man, I've got a sideswipe in hand. Do you want him? And I'm like. Yes, very much so. And so (laughs) he uh, he uh, bought him. And now I am the uh, proud owner of a G2 universe sideswipe. And, you know, so me and Michael Andrews are here like on uh, doing a video conference thing. But like so you can't see it. It's a podcast. But like I can't begin to articulate how yellow this guy actually is like yeah, like pictures gorgeous. do not do it justice at all it's like it is screaming lemon yellow like i had him totally. i had him next to uh tiger track earlier the other yellow side swipe and it's like they are not even the same color this is this is screaming yellow whereas tiger track is more like mustard yellow very very different color yeah my point being is like on my hunt for sideswipe and i thought I thought I'm just going to get sideswipe. I d- I don't need any of these other wacky color, whatever. Do 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 I really need a Spumoni colored Mirage? Uh, do do <laughs> I really need a a blue raspberry dirge or a blue raspberry ramjet or I don't remember if he's ramjet or dirge, but um um. But anyway, like I just know he's not thrust because he doesn't have the the VTOL uh, vents in his wings. Uh, of course. Uh, but anyway, so I've been to several WalMarts recently, and in one swoop, I saw. Um, I, I don't I don't know if you've seen this uh the, this commercial, but like there there's a commercial for like like this Google Flip phone, and there's like some people at like camp talking about like. And and they're like weirdly British for some reason. It's like, oh, I've heard that like when you see the phone, you'll instantly want to change. And like this one girl, she's like, that's the <laughs> that's the the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Why are they sounding like Blitzwing all of a sudden? That's like my Blitzwing voice. That that is not right. <laughs> yeah, that, is, I know. that is not British at all. That is so bad. Let's skip it. But, but anyway, <laughs> she she's she's like that was like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. There's no way I'd ever switch to so. so. 
leave now. That's what Ooh. that's what happened to me when I saw the other Toxitron figures. So in one scoop, while I was looking for Sideswipe, I grabbed myself a Mirage, a Cloud Cover, and Toxitron himself. And whoa, and they are they are gorgeous. Like like the neon colors on these guys is is off the chain. So. I'm hoping for my birthday and my birthday toy hunting to Walmart's. I come across a Tiger Force Grimlock because that that is a figure I didn't think I wanted. Like, I love that Grimlock mold, that Studio Series 86 Grimlock, because it's he's big, he's chunky. He's exactly what you want a contemporary current Grimlock to be. But I didn't think I needed him. Uh, but now that I've got Toxitron and again, that that I had no interest in that laser prime mold either, but like seeing it in like the neon green and that dark purple, he's he's basically Constructicon colors and and that and oh, that yeah. and that color scheme means a lot to me, which ironically enough, we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, like so it's like I didn't know I wanted these figures. Now I want them all. Like right. I, I, I looked at like orange crush jazz and wanted no part of it, but now that I've, I'm yeah. like, I have to have it. I have to have no, it. It's juicy. I want that. It, too. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And, and, and I barely like that, that studio series 86 jazz. I'm just like, yeah, he's fine. But yeah, you, you put him in like three shades of screaming neon orange. I, I am all there for that so anyway that's some of the stuff that i that i'm hunting for uh here on my birthday hopefully well I'll, I'll find some of it and even if i don't that's fine because it's okay to leave yourself stuff to hunt for if uh if that, yes. if that makes a lick of sense but i was gonna say that's that's the important takeaway here uh make sure you have, leave a little something on your grail list uh to, to wake up for. yeah absolutely well and that's the thing too and it's like i I thought twice about buying all three of those figures at the same time. And I was just like, I, I was having, I was having a rougher week and I'm just like, nah, you deserve it. And I scooped them up, <laughs> bought, no, bought $120 worth of toys in one shot. Felt real good. Hell yeah. Felt real good about it. All right. So $120 is the birthday amount. Everybody, if you're listening <laughs> home, you can spend $120 on transformers uh, without any guilt on your birthday. You've heard it here first. Absolutely. And I, um, I, I don't know if we want to get into this now or if we wanted to save it for uh, listener feedback, but like I, I had put something on the, uh, on the two mics, two furious Twitter recently about like, you know, kind of following up with our previous episode when I told you about some of the toys, I didn't buy at Cybefest and some of the, the TFA figures that I'm looking for. And I had mentioned that I had really kind of kind of crystallized that I want a some kind of representation of TFA Optimus specifically with the axe. Like it's like it's got to be like two things for me. It's like it's it's got to be a decent representation of the figure, uh, but it's also got to more importantly for me. I think like like having a good representation of the axe is actually more important than having a a good figure. And we did get some really good uh, suggestions, um, including from you, Michael Anders. Like you uh um, you stuck up for the the siege. The first Siege Optimus has has a pretty yeah. decent kind of kind of accidentally TFA um, inspired axe. Um, so yeah. that that's pretty cool. Very cool. 
uh, but Richard at Vice Grip, he's a fixture in the Pacific Northwest Transformers fandom community. Uh, he had a table at Sidefest. Anyway, really, oh, nice. really good person. Uh, but he uh, he wrote any version of the deluxe class Earth mode mold would be my suggestion. The Voyager has a wacky looking axe, though I like the toy better and we got some other suggestions as, as well like you know, like uh mike b wanted to make sure we i got one that does the splits for for some reason but <laughs> but i think i think the winner and i have not pulled the trigger on this yet despite it being my birthday i'm i i don't know if i'm gonna look for it online or take my chances finding it in the wild but uh michael andrews you had sent me a picture of the the battle damaged optimus the one from that two-pack with uh, oh, uh yeah. with megatron and seeing him with his axe slung over his shoulder uh despite the battle damage it's like i i looked at that and i'm like that's what i'm looking for that is yeah. what i'm looking for hell yeah yeah you might have to do like a little bit of a combo uh you know get get one figure for the axe and then get like you more you know you're more prototypical optimist so you can kind of i mean if you're only gonna get one figure right that that's my pick but you might have to do a little picking choosing if you want the ultimate you know comboing up if you want the ultimate uh optimus gotcha gotcha so yeah so it's 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 my birthday so if you if you if you have more suggestions about which of those optimus figures i i should get to do that that kit bashing like like uh like michael andrews was just suggesting uh let me know the more and more i think about it and that's the only reason i'm bringing it up now because it's like yeah i want to get that tiger force grimlock but man that that itch for for a a real tfa optimus is is getting stronger like you know i i could i could hear christian bailey's like call the axe call the axe <laughs> it's like i i've just decided i i want that so bad but anyway that now i'm picturing like a garbage can in your house where you've you're frankensteining together the perfect animated optimist and you just have all these you know red and blue pieces in your garbage can yep. from piecing it together <laughs> it's a weird hobby but you know we know you like dismemberment so uh yes quite so <laughs> all more power to well, you well being being a a fan of transformers animated i think it's made me more open-minded to it for sure because because that seems to happen on the regular yeah it is becoming a trope in this <laughs> yeah body horror and and dismemberment and yeah it's a uh... right well why don't we jump right in what do you think Mike? Uh, that, i think that sounds terrific <laughs> I, I am really excited to talk about this episode. We are, of course, talking about Transformers Animated Season 1, Episode 14, Nature Calls, airing on March 22nd, 2008, and written by Todd Casey, who has written a bunch of episodes of TFA that I have not seen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at this and I thought it was interesting because he doesn't have a huge writing career, at least as far as IMDb goes. Right. And in fact, the first three episodes of Transformers or the first three things listed on his rap sheet is Transformers animated. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's kind of are we to assume this is where he got his start? Uh, could very well be. 
Yeah, and entirely possible because he he wrote that uh, that Krampus movie, but that didn't come out till like twenty twelve or something like that. Some three years later. So. Right. That's wh- that's where I this guy's got some clout for me because I love Krampus, uh, and I also one of my favorite things in the entire world is Trick or Treat. And I know he didn't work on that, but uh, if he worked with Mike Doherty, who did Trick or Treat, then he must have some cred. And and from Krampus, we know that he's got some street cred with monster stuff mm-hmm. and with winter stuff, which both come to play in this episode that we're going to be talking about very much so and how how refreshing is this to come off of the the waking nightmare that was the headmaster and it and it's interesting because like i i was really kind of taking stock of this before we recorded because like i think headmaster is just kind of like that that rare dip because like i i felt maybe because it was the the depth of the dip where it's like I felt so refreshed watching Nature Calls. I was just like, we're back, baby. This is what I like. Uh, this is what we're here for. And it, it was kind of interesting because it kind of felt like my my elation was kind of like disproportionate. Like my attitude was almost like we had been like on a skid or something. And that's <laughs> and that's not really true at all. It was just right. like, I mean, sure. I mean, survival of the fittest, I, I, I think like story momentum wise was kind of like a, a downturn, but it's on its own. It, it's still a great episode. I think I was just kind of disappointed because that's what the follow up to Lost and Found was like. I, I wanted more of that momentum and that it kind of plateaued off and then dropped off with with Headmaster. But it's it's interesting though because this story i feel like is right in the wheelhouse for what i'm growing to really like about transformers animated it's a smaller cast it's a smaller stake story it's very character driven and there's just like the the tiny seasoning sprinklings of things that move the plot along there's there's a very huge plot development at the very end of this episode um but like this this episode doesn't drive the plot so it's it's interesting that i have this attitude towards this episode whereas i had nothing but contempt for for headmaster and i was kind of weirdly nonplussed plot wise with uh with survival of the fittest sure sure well i'm gonna tell you right now i'm gonna be keep calling this episode when nature calls so just be heads up for that i know we need to make the distinction yeah, yeah. it's called nature calls but i am just on this ace ventura kick i guess and have to call it when nature calls real hot inside these rhinos yeah. <laughs> oh my god i could quote that movie all day and i hope weirdly enough you can find a place to drop in some sound bites from ace ventura too in this episode i think that'd be a big treat for me <laughs> well birthday treat for both of yeah, us yeah 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 <laughs> we have no more suspects or clues but i have instincts spike and my instincts tell me we're getting closer i can feel it i can feel it like it's right in my neck Run! <laughs> oh like like we're talking like you're not gonna get yours come in november <laughs> I mean, right, we're right. already planning a whole damn birthday episode so every every, well, baby. every everybody's getting getting their birthdays today so whoop, whoop. yeah man starts with the woots yeah all right so here we are when nature calls uh we open, we open on a wintry scene yeah snow falling on cedar this beautiful imagery and right away i was like 
this is cool. Like this is something, uh, you know, we haven't seen, we've seen ice on, uh, the great Lake on Lake Erie, but, but we hadn't seen like an actual snowy thing. And I thought it was cool. They're keeping up with like what time it is in the real world. Cause this episode sort of came out in March. So we're kind of on the tail end of, you know, closing in on spring break, but kind of closing in on winter. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really cool. They're, they're doing this and keeping that kind of realism to the real world. Yeah. But yeah, we open on this wintry scene, uh, snow falling on the forest. And this episode, I mean, we'll talk about it as we go, but it really felt sort of like an X-Files episode. And this intro kind of helped that oh my because gosh, yeah. it didn't have anything to do with the main characters, right? Like it's just setting up that there's sort of this like monstrous thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we open with uh, another Constructicon tease. I thought that was interesting because yeah. after we got that in Lost and Found, now we're getting a little something here. And this is a big tease. This is the other one was subtle. This is like this is not know, subtle. Green and purple. Green and purple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Oh man. And then on top of that. Oh yeah, go. And and on top of that, it's a it's the return of the Union Boys. It looks like, you know, uh, very traditional G1. In fact, I'm not convinced that this dude isn't spark plug with wiki. I mean, it's like, right. You know, and, and man, the salt and pepper on this dude too. He, he's like, he's got like the full Reed Richards, Nick Fury looking thing too. It, yeah. And and it reminds me too. It, it's, uh, you know, maybe cause it's my birthday and I'm thinking about, you know, age and getting older and whatnot. When I was younger and maybe when I was like, I don't know, 16 or 17, when I first started to see like the, that the first couple wisps of silver going in my hair i was like oh man i want nothing more as i get older to have like the gray temples and really get like that the full <laughs> reed richards hal jordan kind of kind of a, a nick fury type of thing going on yeah and instead i got like this uh the this hunter rose grendel skunk stripe in the, in the middle of my bangs <laughs> which which i like i mean because it, it really kind of adds to my whole uh captain pike aesthetic to where it's like you know i just put it up and spray it up it's 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 awesome but anyway enough hair legislation up, do poof yeah. as i call it yes do poof yes yes <laughs> which you know i'm i'm still keeping on it and it's uh it's it's pretty great but anyway it's like so it seemed to be like at a certain point of time that was like the default for like a character that was like older or distinguished or whatever and that trope seems to have kind of gone away like i mean you got no shortage of like silver foxes running around don't get me wrong but like it's interesting to see that traditional like gray temple sideburns uh uh type of look yeah yeah so this this version of uh spark plug quote unquote <laughs> kind of has that uh, little salt on a sideburns and you're right it does sort of add some uh adds a little Clooney-esque-ness to it yeah maybe. Uh, a little bit of handsomeness there i do like it this dude's a stud, man. This guy's a snack and a half. Yeah, and he's blue collar. He's out yeah. there. He's sipping on what we can only assume is black coffee with gritty grounds in it. Uh, with a little bit of whiskey yes. poured into it. Uh, <laughs> flavor, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're out there at this like, uh, mine sort of shaft thing uh, on the edge of town, we're to assume. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's triggered by a sound, which turns out you know, to be a giant tentacle. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that coming right away. No, it turns out to be a giant tentacle overtaking the operation. And then it does like the, the cool horror movie thing where it's like a scream and fade to black. And it's like, Oh man, we're in, we're in for some actual horror here. Yeah, absolutely. And I wish that this was an actual cold open. Like I, I would have loved to have seen the credits right after this.
you know, because like like, yeah. like you said, it's a it's a very classic X Files opening, and yeah, it feels very much like a like a cold open. So it it kind of feels a little dippy that like it, it uh you get the intro, then you get this, then it fades to black, and then you get the uh, the next bit of action. But yeah, what a what a what a cool scene, and you know, I I don't I don't know if it's worth asking now or later, but is a uh, is this guy okay? Cause I don't, I don't know that he is. I know. I don't know if he isn't. It's, it's incredibly ambiguous. Like we, we see the fate of the construction vehicles or, or at least part of one of them. But yeah, it's like th- this dude's fate is unknown. Yeah. I, th- I was just going to check TF wiki because I think it says something to the effect of him surviving. Mm. Uh, cut back to New Detroit. Now, this is where I really got into it because the seeing the snow in the city was like really beautiful. Yeah, um, snow has fallen on our fair city, and, and Prowl watches from what I can only assume is a glacier that has creeped up next to town. Like I did not notice this uh, topology before, and now we have uh, this giant, this giant icy mm-hmm. mountain, and uh, Prowl is propped up on it, um, watching. It's, it's sort of like batman-esque yeah. right like he's kind of kind of watching the town from on high and but it's interesting because he's in his motorcycle mode and he's got his little uh hologram mounted on yeah him. so it's it's not often we see prowl you know in that form kind of kind of hanging out i wonder if that is becoming a preference for him because we've seen him use the hollow form before uh, for things other than disguise. I think it's a disguise here, but it's interesting to consider given the the way his attitude is kind of changing and softening his time on the earth and with its people and with its nature is really profoundly right. affecting his character. And and this was a note I was going to save for later, but we, we said early on, Prowl is a dick. And like at this point, Prowl hasn't been a dick for quite some time. And I think it's because he is, he is changed by, uh, by this place. Yeah. And it, and it's, it, it's lovely to see happen episodically and in real time. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a combo. I mean, well, it definitely happened because he got his ass handed to him by Megatron in that very first episode, but like the timing of it, you know, if they had spent any more time in space, I wonder if he would have had the same sort of transition. It was the, it was the one, two punch of, got his ass handed to him, went into hibernation for 50 years, woke up on this planet of organics. I think we're seeing a real, that that playing out a lot mm-hmm. more. And we know he doesn't actually need his hologram uh, mode. I mean, the robots in disguise thing is cool and still needs to be used sometimes, right. but really the city knows that they're there and exactly who he mm-hmm. is. So this, we have to assume that, yeah, this is sort of a preference at this point. Uh, parked up on the hill yeah absolutely so i i wrote in my notes prowl versus mr plow yeah right he gets buried which very relatable we can all uh i think anyone living in certainly in the city can certainly grumble about the snowplow coming by and burying the edge of your driveway or just like burying someone's car mm-hmm. and just being stuck like that 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 hit me actually as a grown-up watching rewatching this show that stung me quite a bit i was grumbling as yeah, well yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but i i love this visual gag that you get like the hollow avatar being buried but then like glitching for a second then just like showing up through the mountain of snow i thought that was a pretty cool visual there yeah 
the little uh, grumble from Prowl <laughs> as it happens. It's very, all very, a little too relatable. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. He's So he's pissed, and I was like understandably pissed along with him, but then you cut to the next scene and you find out it's for kind of a weird reason. Like he's, he's mad at machines for ruining the beauty. Like I would have just thought, having a bad day, right? Like you got buried. This is bad luck. Just being pissy, but he's actually pissed at machines and Bumblebee has to kind of like remind him that he is a machine. Yeah. That was incredible. It's like he, he forgets sometimes. Cause like, I mean, I, I love this entire rant that, that he's uh, going on. You know, he's, he's talking about. It's as though humans are forever at war with nature. Beauty literally falls from the sky and they immediately rush to spoil it with their machines. They won't rest until all of nature's beauty is. Have you even heard a word I said? And and it's funny because really it just kind of seems to be the inciting incident is like, do just like snow. Like he, he just he just seems to find serenity in in freshly fallen snow. But like even just like the act of like plowing snow it, it right. is enough to set him off to the point where uh, Bumblebee even calls attention to it uh, deeper in the episode when when he and Sari are talking about the tracks that he's putting putting in the snow. But like, but for now, it's just like, yeah, he's he's got a axe to grind about kind of the the wrong thing. But I do like this juxtaposition where Prowl is ranting and Sari and Bumblebee are just playing this video game, which incidentally looks really not fun like i I don't know what this game is but you're just like driving on a fixed course like in in this like wireframe thing yeah it's like it's like a sega racing game or something it's like it's like a genesis uh definitely but i think it's really good i was thinking about this a lot because obviously the the uh, racing thing the car racing video game Mm -hmm. stuff plays out later in the episode right it pays off But it's also interesting here because, you know, you have Bumblebee ragging on Prowl for for not considering himself a machine. But here's Bumblebee playing like a car simulator. He is a car. Yeah. Like he is playing this game, watching this like neither of them are really in different ways, acknowledging their true nature, which I just and none of them can either even recognize that in themselves yeah it's it it's a weirdly deep philosophical perspective from both of these characters because like neither one of them like 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 you had just said you know neither one of them is acknowledging that they're uh vehicles or electronical components right yeah and we're still in just on the opening quirkiness right and we have all these layers i just think that's one of the great things about this show nothing's wasted as yeah. you've said yeah absolutely in time <laughs> absolutely but yeah uh so prowl seems like he's pretty pissed at bumblebee for bringing this up and there's gonna there could be a fight uh i'm glad we didn't see prowl actually lose his cool because optimus comes in and mentions that there's a cybertronian signature detected outside of town and this got me excited mm-hmm. like i was like "Ooh, what is out there i mean any chance that we can get more cybertronians or like another robot or something like this was a great little great little moment and and he says it's non-sentient which kind of threw me i was like hmm what could it be yeah yeah it uh it, it raises a lot of questions right well optimus thinks it's a piece of their ship which is not where my mind went but yeah okay that makes sense so he sends them out to go look for it and sorry sees it as a chance to go camping this is very reminiscent of you know 
everything we know about sorry yeah. right like how can i turn it into a sleepover how can i turn it into a camp out how can i just do anything you know make it something uh kid like so but i think it's really smart because she positions herself like an expert on earth which is kind of true mm-hmm. but it's ultimately so she can go camping exactly well and and it's interesting to also note that neither prowl or b is happy about this at all for for very different reasons right. but still it's like so you know we we've already seen bumblebee's reliance on technology and the idea of going outside of the city where there's no technology is is terrifying and offensive and and yeah. conversely prowl just does not want to deal with Bumblebee and his nonsense right now. Keep, keep that Dennis the Menace energy for uh, for a different day. It's <laughs> like I'm having a a Mike Seibert skull and crossbones cake situation here. I just <laughs> I just want to fold my arms and harumph at, at the situation because I think that that's kind of how I read Prowl is like you know he he just kind of wants to stew. He's just, he's just mad. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they both hate it, but you know who loves it? Optimus. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's like. Actually, you both could stand to unplug yourselves for a day or two. Think of it as a character builder. So, yeah, he sends them out like the good scout leader Uh he is into the woods. Uh, And it's fun seeing them get all bundled up and heading out of town, right? Like there's stuff packed on top of Bumblebee. Uh, Sari's in her little coat Mm -hmm. and scarf and earmuffs. Like I love when cartoons have costume changes because that happens very rare. It seems like everybody's built into what they're wearing and this they had to switch Mm -hmm. it up. Uh, so that's always fun. And then as they're headed out of town, they get like, I don't know, this is like to me, maybe this is reaching, mm-hmm. but Prowl makes an almost Spock like joke. Oh, yeah. Uh, when he calls them mellow marshes versus marshmallows. And I kind of rolled my eyes, but I was also like, this is very Star Trek five. Uh, this is like my favorite scene from this is the whole reason I like Star Trek five. So yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah, that little camping. Well, and, thing. and this whole thing, you know, they're they're uh, they're going up the mountain. They're obviously overpacked. And one of the, one of the things that's that's funny about one me seeing the episode for the first time, but then also documenting notes as I go, that I I occasionally run into things that I would put in the category of asked and answered, or maybe just wait a minute. I wrote down, has sorry even been camping before question mark, because like there, there's this whole discussion and I'm picking up from how excited that she is. It's like at a certain point, it starts to click to me. I was like, wait a second. This sounds more like something she wants to do more than something that she's actually done before. Um, But I I obviously did not realize that at the time. Yeah, I think what we're definitely learning is that Sari really is even more sheltered than we thought and really hasn't been able to do anything. Not that I've been camping a ton, but that's kind of by choice. Uh, But yeah, she doesn't seem to have experienced the things that normal people have by this time in their life. Yeah, lives. so let, uh, I want to I want to stop there for for just a, a quick sec because like I had I had written at the bottom of my birthday notes uh, a, a segment called Camping Stories, and I I got Ooh. and much much like sorry some deck I kind of got so coked up on talking about Tiger Force Grimlock that I I forgot to come back to that note, but uh, but here's as as good a stopping point as anyway. So you mentioned kind of over your shoulder, not that you uh, that you would want to with regards to camping, like 
have you done camping when you were a kid? Like, did you do scouts or anything like that? Uh, what, what's kind of your, your history with camping? I'm glad you brought this up. Cause I was going to ask you the same thing, <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, I never was in scouts or never actually went camping when I was a kid, but I lived next door to a campground. So I was always like over there and I interacting with campers and a lot of, you know, weirdly enough, a lot of my friends who became my friends was because they went camping next to my house. Like we hadn't talked in school. I hadn't met them, but you know, then they went there on their trip and I hung out with them for a long weekend or something like that. So I felt like I was getting sort of a camp out vibe without actually having to do it, having to buy the camper and pick the wood ticks out of my areas. So (laughs) it's a lot of fun, but I did go camping once as an adult. And this is kind of a somber story, but it, this episode really triggered it for me because when I was living up uh, in Northern Minnesota, uh, a friend of mine, his girlfriend got in this tragic car accident, uh, just there and gone in a second. Nobody saw it coming. And they had been saving all summer to go on this camping trip because there's these like campsites along Lake Superior and they're like highly coveted. They're, they're, you know, they're really rustic sites and it's on the lake and it's beautiful, but there's like a long wait list for it. So they had to put in at the start of summer to get something. It was like this time of year or later even. So it was going to be very cold, but they had accepted that. Um, and unfortunately, she passed away just right before they got to go. But he still wanted to go out there. He didn't want to go alone. So he had me go with him. And this is my very first true camping excursion, right? Like he's like, you're going to have to, you know, I have the gear. We're going to have a tent. We're going to, you know, you're going to have to really rough it. This is out in the middle of nowhere. There's no running water. There's no bathrooms. This isn't a KOA campground kind of a right, thing. Right, right. Um, and we got out there into these deep woods late, late at night. Oh, wow. And he was just, you know, distraught and depressed from having lost his girlfriend. And uh, he said, fuck it. And he just started drinking. He's like, I'm not going to set up the tent. We're not doing tent. And I was just like, no, no, no. I haven't been camping before, but I know one thing about this. The tent is the most crucial yeah. part if you're going to be sleeping out in the woods. Uh, but he was not having it. And I had no clue how to set up a tent. And this was about 10 p.m. So we just Ooh. slept in our sleeping bags. There was ice growing on our sleeping bags the next morning. Um, it was like we were just sleeping wow. out there, you know, really, really true roughing camping so so yes i technically have been camping I, yeah i was gonna say and and if i uh, if i may be so bold that probably leads to some trauma that made me lead you away from that activity yeah yeah it was definitely a weird circumstance and uh you're right i mean i haven't been camping since so maybe maybe that has something to do with it i I did some camping when I was a kid, like, you know, I didn't do scouts or anything like that, but like, you know, I went to like, you know, and, and it reminds me of a conversation I had with my wife this morning over breakfast before, before I came in to record and, um, you know, kind of like what defines camping, uh, because like, you know, I was telling her about some of these things when I was a kid, like, you know, you would have like, you know, summer camp, like through school or the community or whatever, but like you're sleeping in cabins. So it's not necessarily quote unquote camping. And she had asked me, she's like, well, when was the last time we've been camping? And I'm like, well, first not in this century and and then i thought about it more and i'm like well 
have we ever actually been camping? And, you know, we, we talked about like some of the trips that we had been on. It's like, well, if you're sleeping in a camper that's on the back of a pickup, is that camping? If you're sleeping at an RV that goes to a KOA campground, is that camping? And, you know, we kind of went through all like all these different things. And I think where we landed is that like as adults, my wife and I have, have never been camping like in that, that traditional, like putting stakes in the ground, putting a tent up, uh, that kind of thing. I did a little bit of camping when I was a teenager, went out to like, you know, state parks with my friends. There, there was one time famously where it was, it was far enough for us to drive to where we felt like we were far enough away. We were maybe like, I don't know, 16, maybe 17 old enough to drive, but not not fully autonomous and like i I, and and i remember the rain got so bad that we basically in the in the middle of the night packed up and went home (laughs) at at like midnight or something like that it's like well we we're all awake now there's no fun campfire (laughs) to do and now we're just getting wet right how about we just drive the hour back home Okay, cool. So we like, you know, threw all the stuff in the trunk and then just made our way back. So, so that was that, but like my, uh, my parents, uh, were, and still kind of are kind of like roughing it camping folks. And, you know, took me a few times when, uh, when I was a kid, but basically like here in Washington, one, we, we've got like a whole bunch of different state parks. Like, you know, that there's, there's woods, there's mountains, there's a little bit of everything actually, which, which is why I love it here so much. There, there's prowl would love it here. Like there, there's a lot, there's right. a lot of that, that great nature here, but like my parents would uh, like to go out to the ocean. So basically like, you know, we're, we're about a two and a half hour drive uh, from the ocean, from, uh, from Seattle. Uh, you know, one of the advantages of being on the coast, you could just literally drive to the ocean and there it is. Oh, Hey, there's sand and there's water. But then like, you know, there, there's like, you know, state park campgrounds that are, you know, not necessarily like on the beach, but are like beach adjacent. Like you're in the woods, you know, camp spots in the woods, you know, you pitch your tent, but like one of like the most vivid sensory memories that I still have is like, you know, you come out of your tent first thing in the morning. And the first thing you, you get is like that blast of like damp ocean air. And it's, uh, I mean, there's, there's nothing like it. It's not something I do as an adult, but that, that is, that is some cool stuff that, that I did as a kid. And like, you know, it would always be like, you know, hanging out by like campfires and, you know, not necessarily telling ghost stories, but just like hanging out and stuff. I, I, right. You know, I may not like camping as much, but I, I do love a good campfire. Like I, I will, I will, Hell I will yeah. sit around um, a fire and pass along a bottle and like do roast some weenies and some, and some uh, mellow marshes and, and have a good time. So it's like, <laughs> but yeah, I was, like I said, I was just kind of like in that weird headspace about like camping and stuff. And so like uh, my wife and I will, will go places like my, uh, uh, my sister-in-law and my uh niece well actually on, on my wife's side um they used to own a campground so like we would go down there and like you know hang out for like family reunions and do the campfire and stuff but then eventually because we don't want to like sleep on the ground and stuff we would just drive home so one of the missing components in our kind of like adult camping life is that hanging out until 
way late as as the fire is going down that that kind of thing so that's if, if there's yeah. anything missing from my my adult camping lifestyle it would be that but like i mean dude i'm 45 years old i, I i'm not gonna sleep on the on the <laughs> ground anymore it's like do you know what my deductible is <laughs> talk about <laughs> talk about Battlestar sciatica my god <laughs> but anyway that's well i think I think the takeaway here is that no matter your actual level of camping, camping sort of triggers something in all of us, some memory or something, uh, even even if it's just the opening of Star Trek Five. Yes. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it has some connection to your youth that maybe is like genetic memory mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. Do, do but, you know, uh, row, 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 row your boat. <laughs> you know? right, right. I love that line right. delivery where like def- I I. I don't think it was scripted that way. I think like DeForest Kelly was just like, you know, what is it? Row, 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 row your boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That almost seems like an ad lib yeah. or something, but uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so for my, I guess for my camping thing, like that really, this scene specifically that we're coming up on really triggered that because by nightfall, they haven't set up their tent yet uh, and Prowl rather med- meditate, right? Like he's pissed, he's brooding. And this was sort of my friend out there. Yeah. And then there was me just being like, we should put this tent together. And like, we don't know how to do it. So like, I was really, really having some flashbacks to that moment. But you know, the difference here is that Prowl just got up from his meditation and built the tent in like three seconds and built the fire in three mm-hmm. seconds. Whereas my friend was kind of like, we're not, we're not even doing that. Uh, and then you also, you know, in a very Prowl way, you have this really cool delivery of how fire, we know they're talking about fire and like, it's also nature's way of cleansing. There is no electricity in the woods. Fire is what provides warmth and light. It's also nature's way of cleansing. And that's really a beautiful sentiment, but also it's kind of funny how Prowl delivers it. Like there is some sort of like snark here, almost like he's, you know, threatening them of like, you want to see fire? I'll give you fire. <laughs> and like he he is just he has no patience. And it's interesting, too, because like Prowl is such an interesting layered character, because on one hand, he's got like the, this quiet serenity where it's like, you know, when he's he's trying to just stare at the mountain and meditate anytime he's kind of sitting with his legs folded all uh, crisscross applesauce, you know, that that's him trying to um, uh, center and put himself somewhere else and, you know, be in the moment and like these these fucking kids just won't leave him alone my god you've you've got you've got sorry he's out with the two worst yes it's like i mean he would probably rather be with bulkhead at this point um because i mean at least bulkhead is capable now granted he would probably knock down all the trees and have have different problems but like i mean you got like sorry like knocking rocks together um you've got bumblebee (laughs) running back and forth with a television under his arm asking where 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 the outlets are and and it's kind of interesting too because like you know we we were talking about this perspective of uh, Bumblebee not realizing he's a car and Prowl not realizing he he himself is an electronic component. But like when uh, Bumblebee is looking for an electrical outlet, I, I find it very difficult to believe that he himself can't like transform morph himself a component of some kind or at least like have like a cigarette lighter outlet in him or yeah, something I was say it, they, the problem is they don't have the adapter uh oh this my is god yes the, you just need the little adapter to stick into the <laughs> uh i i want to go back to one note that we had earlier like when that when they first show up to the camp 
and uh, Bumblebee stops. Sorry gets out. And like all of this junk just falls out of Bumblebee also in addition to right. all of the stuff. And like th there's this there's this line delivery here that I I I don't know how to take it. I don't know what to make of it, but I did laugh about it. It was just like, uh, Prowl was like, hey man, how, where did you put all of that stuff? How do you fit all that stuff in? And Bumblebee very bashfully is like, um, I'd rather not say. And he makes like this weird, like, like finger cuffs motion. It's like, what yeah, is he yeah. trying to intimate there? That's incredibly uncomfortable. Awkward. Yeah, yeah we're not going to talk. We're not going to touch that. One. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I did also like uh, you had mentioned it already, but like the the whole thing where Prowl goes into full ninja mode and like makes the tent, makes the fire and all that. But like this move is so boss where it's like he kind of like whirlwinds makes makes the tent and then like plants himself in like this superhero three point stance. And then the tent yeah. just like pops out. I thought <laughs> that was I thought that was a pretty cool Prowl moment. Well, this is yeah, this is like why Prowl is actually kind of unique because he's not truly the character that learned a lesson and now has changed him he's still kind of a show-off he's still kind of a badass he still has the skill to back up mm -hmm. sort of being a little arrogant like it's still there and this is what i was talking about very early on when we started this project of like that never quite goes away and that is what makes him such a unique character mm -hmm. is like he's not fully reformed he's still got that little bit of you know sly smirk when he does something cool in him yeah yeah and it's like and he knows it and so yeah. it's like it's like yeah now you've pissed me off but now now i'm gonna do something really cool that that's gonna, gonna right, impress right, you guys right. uh and speaking of mellow marshes while we're still on that <laughs> as they are called in this yes. you know they're not the titular marshmallows right. of star trek 5 but uh, i do love sari's little strategic marshmallow roasting setup here that she has where she's got like a stick for every marshmallow boarded around the edge of the fire pit and as soon as that fire gets started it's gonna be roasting like 10 marshmallows at once i thought this was genius i was like i've never you know i've been very one to two marshmallows tops, sure sure right? when you're roasting marshmallows but she's gonna have 10 going at once that's that's pretty clever and and again it kind of underscores the sequence of where we kind of learn that sorry's never actually been camping and she's just kind of like doing what she thinks that that one would would do like seeing it from from movies and stuff and and it is kind of interesting because like they they have like this whole dialogue about survival and machines and reliance on on machines and electronics and prowl says something here to the effect of like um, cause like, I, I think like, sorry is giving him lip that tracks. She's being just as surly as Bumblebee is, but he, he lays it out. It's like, Hey man, you, you need to know how to survive without machines because you never know when you're not going to have them or when you won't have them or something, something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. He says you must learn to survive without the aid of machines. Uh, and I thought that was so interesting because it's, you know, like everything Prowl says, it's too layer, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you don't, you need to learn to live without the key and video games and all this other stuff. But it's also him saying, hey, you need to learn to live without us. We're not going to be here forever. I want to go home one day. This is not permanent. Um, I think that's a really deep layer there. Right, right. Oh, that's right. Because prior to that, 
she she was having trouble starting the fire uh th- this must have been before prowl did his uh uh ninja nerd blow on the on the tent and and, and the <laughs> fire to to conjure it because like sorry is kind of a snot about it and and she's just kind of like i i got you guys you know it's like i i don't need to know yeah. how to do this i i i got you guys and then that's when when that's what sets yeah him off. yeah absolutely so the, all that stuff earlier i said about prowl no longer being a dick forget that prowl's still a dick but it's still a dick but he's he's <laughs> i i guess for me i guess it's that he's more well-rounded and more purely intended like i just i can't understate how much i appreciate prowl's love of nature i just that 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 that's like a character trait that i never expected and it and it kind of resonates really deep in me it's like i it's like that that is really cool for like this this aloof arrogant ninja to have like this this depth of spirituality in connecting with with their new adopted home it's it's something really special yeah absolutely and kind of to piggyback on that I, you know when I moved into this house shortly, you know, before starting this project mm-hmm. with you, just from the nature of moving into a new home, you become kind of wasteful, right? You have to buy lots of new stuff and order lots of new stuff and you're throwing stuff away all the time. And while I consider myself very kind of like green and, and eco-friendly in my day to day, I kind of was drifting away from that just from the nature of the house, having to replace all these things yeah. um, and watching this show and seeing Prowl like this has gotten me back into, okay, wait, take a beat, maybe spend the extra buck to not have plastic on my packaging and, right. and, you know, doing a lot of that stuff that I, that I got away from. Um, so watching the show has kind of reinforced that in Prowl specifically. Uh, has helped. Yeah, well, and and again, it's it's been a while since it's been a couple episodes since it's been touched on, but environmentalism and conservation is is a deep theme of this show, and yeah. and it, and you know it's it's not always in a very adult way too. Yeah, uh, in, in a very mature way, which is surprising. What's not in a mature fashion is that this whole legislation with uh with bumblebees like uh hollow emitter or like i i i don't entirely understand this sequence with like his 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 media player thing yeah well let me break it down for you a little bit so sorry wants to tell ghost stories uh, which I'm all for, but this also is like her default setting, yes. right? Like we we know this from sorry. Any chance I'm surprised like at her birthday party, she wasn't like, so ghost stories, yeah. everybody. It's a beautiful, sunny spring day. Uh, ghost story. <laughs> but, right, right. Uh, but so they, so Bumblebee wants to watch a movie. Like he's one level removed from that. He's like, ghost stories. What are you 80 years yeah. old? Let's watch. Um, I have this like MP3 player, DVD player, whatever yeah. it is right here. And, but, he has no place to hook it up. And this is where Mike, I thought you'd appreciate mm-hmm. it because this reminded me of our mutual favorite movie paycheck. Oh yeah. Because he plugs right into um, Prowl's hollow emitter that emits a projection of himself. And this reminded me of like the beginning of paycheck with Ben Affleck, mm-hmm. where he's like, we didn't need the screen. So we just got rid of it. Right. Like it's just a projection. Yeah. Out yeah. In the woods. So he's kind of got this like 3d uh, TV going, but um so yeah, he he puts on a horror movie and it's some weird bear movie, which now, you know, we have Revenant and Cocaine Bear and we've seen bear movies. But at the time I was like, this is a weird like thing to have 
as a horror movie. Uh, yeah, you know, I I totally misunderstood that vibe because like I first I had that in my notes. Also, I was like, oh, we're uh, Bumblebee decides he wants to watch Cocaine Bear. That's that's nice because like <laughs> the the bear is especially crazed like there's a lot of foam involved there it's it's probably more like the revenant like like you had said it's it's a very angry bear but i i i don't know if i just uh let my attention slip for for a minute but like there i thought for a moment that maybe this was like a recording of some kind like like this this was going to have to do with the plot that we're going to get into in a moment here where it's like oh man it's like I, it's to the point where i thought later it's like wait a sec what what does this bear and these hikers have to do with this uh cthulhu monster that we see later turns out nothing because they're watching a movie and i i just i wasn't right. i i wasn't um i i wasn't uh paying as close attention as as i should have or something well it, it, it actually makes a ton of sense to what well, one thing i want to talk about this movie a little bit because it's cool because it's definitely drawn in a different art style from the rest of the show yeah. like there's something like like you could really see that the animators could do like a more serious, like now it's cool. Cause we're kind of getting like, this is really a stylized version of transformers in the world. There is the idea of like a more picturesque, uh, real portrait like version. Stylized. So there's a different art style. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Like a stylized kind of, kind of take on real life there. It's, it looks different than the quote unquote real life that we see in the world of transformers right. animated. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and then I also got vibes from it, even though it's like a bear movie, it kind of, the scene that plays kind of reminds me of the movie American werewolf in London. Sure. Like, I don't know. That was like the first thing that came to mind when I saw that image play. And then thirdly, the bear thing is important because um, why I think it's not just like a monster movie playing is because it helps crystallize to Bumblebee that bears are scary monsters. And that puts him at odds with Prowl because Prowl's like, you know, he even says later in the show, bears aren't monsters and nature isn't a monster. And this is exactly what I've been telling you about yeah, Bumblebee yeah. is that nature is a beautiful thing and you're not listening. So it actually is the perfect movie to play for for this kind of like interplay between Bumblebee and Prowl. Absolutely. I love this next sequence that we transition like we we had uh, we had seen Prowl execute the ninja nerd blow and 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 erect the tent and then Bumblebee just parks underneath it in car mode. So, <laughs> so it's like, what do you even need the tent for? It's like, it's like just this tarp stretched over the top of a car. Very silly. Yeah. And you know, yeah, there is sort of the suspension too. I mean, same thing with the marshmallows, like they're not going to eat them. So clearly these, all these marshmallows are for sorry. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so they're, they're, um, what is it like Prowl is kind of hanging out by the fire, kind of presumably doing some contemplative meditation, maybe doing some, uh, mindfulness, uh, some mood monitoring. Sorry is asleep inside the car in, uh, in Bumblebee, you know, in a <laughs> glamping, they're glamping. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and to our point of like, what is camping? It's like, so if you drive your car into the woods and sleep in the car, is that still camping? I would, I would say no. Yeah, probably. But if it is, apparently I've been camping a few more times than I thought. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so there, there's a, uh, there's a noise, uh, Bumblebee is incredibly startled 
and I don't remember the sequence uh, right off the top of my head, but like I, I couldn't help from like a, a twisted perspective. Think of the uh, the clerk's animated series where it's like, you know, who is driving? Bear is driving. How can that be? But like where like I don't I don't rem- I don't have it in my notes. I don't know who hears it first. Like, does sorry get out of Bumblebee before he transforms. Cause like that, that's something that could be really scary. Like that, that, that girl could get a period real quick. Like if she's uh, still inside the sparkle, that would be. Oh, and waking up is the worst uh, startling thing of all time. Right? Like if someone wakes you up in emergency, that's probably the worst way to wake up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. That's a good point. I don't know either, but uh, I know Bumblebee is like freaked out first because the growling scares him more than it scares. Sorry. Right. Uh, And I think it's really interesting that the monster movie did its trick on Bumblebee. And now he's the one he's like waking up like a little kid, like "Ah, bears. (laughs) (laughs) And and can we just call attention to uh, Bumper Robinson's voice work in here that this I, I, the amount of screaming and yelling and hysterics that that bumblebee is in this it's like i mean this, this is at bumblebee at 11 um i i yeah. really enjoyed this performance in in this episode he's it, it's really good yeah it rocked uh so there's some growling going on and this sets prowl off because they're not bear again they're not bears they're or they're not monsters they're bears uh so prowl's about to lecture them but Buddy, that ain't no bear because out of the woods comes a giant beast covered in friggin' pink eyeballs <laughs> uh, and just starts stomping through the campground. You know, I thought they were really going to do more of like a like a slow build up to the monster. But nope, that thing just stomps out of the woods and we're we're off to play. It, it is all right there and it's all eyeballs and tentacles. And B has this great line here where it's like, I didn't know bears had shovels for hands. I guess I did learn something camping. Right. Right. And I think this. Yeah. So getting into like what this monster looks like a little bit, it's, you know, it's a big pile of garbage covered in tentacles and pink eyeballs. I think it looks very cool. But one thing it reminded me of right away was Octopunch. And we were kind of talking about Octopunch in a recent episode. And I was like, well, maybe that's why Octopunch wasn't down there with the other uh, pretenders in that episode, Mm -hmm. because they were saving it for this. And they thought it would be too close to that design. I could see that handling because right away I was like, oh, yep, there it is. A little porthole. Because, yeah. A little neon porthole. Yep, absolutely. It's all all tentacles and eyeballs. It's all all very Octopunch. and, And through that same design lens that the other character, the other creatures were, uh, you know meltdowns minions yeah i i think that tracks i i, yeah. I like that kind of like visual uh callback there right but this monster has a giant backhoe for one hand and it is a familiar color that we've seen in this episode already yep. so we're kind of starting to piece it together and prowl wants to understand this creature yeah uh but the creature just whacks prowl off wink uh, like knocks him out of the way. And then this is where uh, a very well-placed ad break by Tubi because it was like, oh my God, what's happening? We're right in the middle of a fight and you cut to a commercial. Yeah. But it let me kind of process and think about the, like how much fun I was having in this episode, mm-hmm. right? Because I had this moment of like, oh, this is like, this is Monster of the Week. This really is literally Monster of the Week. Um, the setting's cool. It's very unique. There's like an actual monster out there. There's There's horror vibes and elements. And we kind of talked about it earlier, but it felt so very X-Files to me yeah. that it just evoked something that I, you know, didn't know I was missing in this show. Well, and it's so atmospheric, too. 
you know, one of the, one of the things that you had said in your preview haiku, a pre-coup, if you will, for uh, for this episode was that, you know, it, it's John Carpenter's Transformers. And this very much has at various times that same claustrophobic aesthetic as obviously John Carpenter's the thing. And so, I mean, you get yeah. a lot of that, that, that imagery, but you also get that tension. Like the, as, as we go down the stretch, I was blown away by the, the amount of coiling tension that comes in through this episode. Like, you know, there, there's like a zombie movie uh, vibe to it and, yeah. and, and a, and a spooky scariness that that's, that's very real like you know spoilers alerts when uh when both bots end up uh getting turned it's genuinely scary like zombie prowl in particular is legitimately scary i'm i'm surprised that hasbro kind of let him get away with it yeah totally i i'm it's been a long time for me since i've sat down and watched the thing beginning to end Mm -hmm. um i wonder how closely this follows it uh, like, I wonder if, you know, the writer of this episode was like, I'm going to nail it. I'm going to nail the thing. I'm going to do it beat for beat. Um, I'd like to see some of those parallels. Maybe that's something I'll I'll have to have. A, as we near spooky season, I might have to uh, rewatch it compared to this. Oh, that would be fun, too, you know, to, to really kind of analyze it from that perspective, because I didn't even think about this at the end. So, like, as you were talking, the thing I was thinking, it's like, oh, man, we're, we're just a flamethrower away from, you know, somebody being Kurt Russell and really jumping all the way to the end of the episode. Sorry, really kind of becomes McReady. Uh, you know, she got oh, she, totally. she kind of becomes the Kurt Russell character. And instead of fire, it's the it's the water, it's the fire hose. But right. we'll, we'll get there. But it's like that just crystallized right now in real time while we were talking. So, yeah, I I, yeah, I, totally. I don't think that any of these homages to the thing are accidental in any kind of way. I think I think. Oh, totally. Everything from like the setting to even like the the uh, creature design. I, I think it's all uh, very, very intentional. And, um, and and speaking of intentions, you know, you, you had mentioned it um, already, but Prowl says something like, oh, you know, oh, first we, uh, you know, be, be peaceful. I want to like understand this creature. <laughs> first, we must determine this creature's intentions. And, right. and B has this great line here. He's like, I'm going to go with Astor. <laughs> yeah. it's, oh that's such a great line it, it's it's a very oh. uh uh late 2000s line delivery there you know kind of like that right. that postmodern over the shoulder with a shrug uh indifferent shrug type of thing uh very yeah. very weedony that one is yeah 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 well that was also very hot at the time so we can kind of see how this is all you know conglomerating together quite so uh so now we're yeah now we're back to the show uh you know my ad break was over so i'm i'm back in mm-hmm. it uh Sorry is about to get smushed. Bumblebee saves her. And uh, Prowl does my favorite thing, whips out a couple of those shurikens uh, right into the monster. But they get absorbed, like sucked in. It was very cool. And then and then now you're like kind of getting the full scope of what this monster is. Right. Like it's they realize it's an organic creature. It's wrapped around technology. And if you weren't convinced yet, then Sari's key starts glowing to prove that there's something Cybertronian about it. Right. Yeah, and and B uses his stingers on it uh, unsuccessfully as well, and right, and I think it's right about the time that the uh, shurikens get get absorbed. There, there's some legislation here about 
So much for that piece of our spaceship theory. How do we stop it? Like that, that was that was the original thinking was that this was just like a hunk of the Autobot ship. But we see that that is is very much not the case. But I, I also like here as, as this legislation is happening that they're trying to figure out how to defeat it and. Once again, we get a call back to home is where the spark is because Prowl is like, search for its weakness. And the thing I couldn't, I, yeah. I really would have loved a reprise of uh, uh, Stillness than Mike, but, uh, right, but right. that wasn't to be. But like, you know, just that that perspective of like, you know, Bumblebee has learned a little bit, but not a lot of bit, but like, you know, Prowl's approach to combat is still the same. You know, it's find, find your enemy's weakness. Yeah, you're right. That's kind of a missed opportunity. That would have been a cool little moment now that we're back with these same characters. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think Marty Eisenberg is really good at when he's writing the episode proper is like throwing it back to stuff that he's already written or at least in other episodes. Mm -hmm. Like that's an attention to detail. I've really noticed he really, he really picks up on. Um, but I guess uh, Todd Casey couldn't. Yeah, yeah. So here we go. This is what we get. No, just, uh, but so back to the show, they escape for a moment and there's this great exchange where uh, Prowl's like, it's not a monster. It's Cybertronian. Mm -hmm. And Sari says, you have something that ugly back on Cybertron and the best joke in the whole show, maybe Bumblebee says, yeah, but Bulkhead's back at the plant. <laughs> oh! And I legit lolled. I was Roasted. like, man, the guy cannot, uh, even in the, the biggest, you know, the heart of danger, yeah. right? Like if he sees the opportunity for a joke, he takes it. <laughs> He's, and he, that really stuck with me because that's something I do uh, often. <laughs> yeah. Uh, B truly is the the roast master general. Um, I I always <laughs> like I, I I also like this line when they the plan is to run. You know, no uh, stillness than strike this time. So the plan is to run, and then B says, "What did I tell you about camping? Monsters. TV is always right." <laughs> With regards yeah. to it being a monster, I thought I, I thought that was uh, I thought that was which has to set Prowl off, but there's no time for him to get pissy about it now. Yeah, and then this is this is where the the two bots finally put two and two together and realize that the creature that they're facing is a result of wait for it space barnacles. Space barnacles. Yeah, the, the, the clues are there. It's made of non-sentient metal coupled with living organisms and gives off a Cybertronian energy signal. Mm -hmm. Same time, turn to each other. They have the epiphany. It's <gasps> space barnacles. And what I loved about this is like it kind of gave a name to something extraterrestrial. Like this is this is what I'm into. Any show that has to do with sci-fi about when you start mentioning aliens or other worlds mm -hmm. or technology, it expands that universe. Now we know that you know, it's getting back to for a while there, we we're starting to feel like the bots didn't have a past behind them. Yeah. But yeah, actually, they've had a lot of adventures that we haven't even seen, mm -hmm. uh, maybe slightly boring to them, but incredible to us. And and I also love Space of Articles because it reminds me of Cosmic Rush, yep. which is my favorite episode of Transformers G1. And uh, if I can give a little nod to my APDC appearance, mm -hmm. that's the episode that I 
was most recently on yeah, yeah. because I love Cosmic Rust. And and I I love when the world of the Transformers gets bigger. Like we saw that, like you said, with like Cosmic Rust and, and a bit in season two. But like season three, really po- post movie where we're like dealing with Quintessons on the regular and and uh, yeah. Slizardo and, and all those other folks. So I, I love when Transformers is a science fiction property. So I I really like that here in TFA we're dealing with uh space barnacles and like, you know, the thing from outer space and I think that adds a uh delightful twist to it. I I also think it's interesting that you know at once once they realize that it's space barnacles there's speculation that something must have mutated it. And B says something to the effect here of like, he, he implies that it's the fresh air that, that it is indeed like, like the, the nature that prowl seems to like so much that. Oh yeah. And, and I think that's an interesting perspective on it because, you know, it's while on one hand, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's kind of like in uh, War of the Worlds, right? Like the thing that that defeats the aliens isn't any kind of weaponry that humanity to come up with. It's the air that we breathe. It's the oxygen in the air that they they can't handle. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting to have that kind of turned inside out. That potentially the uh, the nature the the serene nature of the earth is the very thing that's mutated these uh these space barnacles or at least that's kind of how it's presented here at uh at face value yeah and it's also another chance for bumblebee to sort of insult something about prowl right like oh Mm -hmm. it's your precious nature that did this now (laughs) how great is your nature now that it's turning space barnacles into mutants Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah i just love the space barnacles thing it's you know just in such a short time too we learned that it's techno organic it's space born like this started to get very star trek if you for me right like it's we now we know a lot about its anatomy it's space born and that when it does attach to technology it acts like a computer virus and we learn that the only way to usually get rid of them is that they're burned off the hull of the ship like you literally have to take fire to them the cleansing fire if we're talking uh prowl speak yeah and so from there, the key leads them into the Sumdac mine question mark exclamation point. Hmm. What, what are, yeah. what are they looking for? What, what is happening? What is this entire industrial complex? It's uh, yeah. ad, adds a, a, uh, to quote our friend Lita, a, a vein of deep lore of uh, what yeah, this possibly yeah. could be. Well, it's really cool because um, this definitely could have been one of those one-off throwaway episodes, but this close to the end of the season, we're getting a lot more hints and little titillating uh, factoids. So I think this is really cool that they threw that in. So now, yeah, now they're at a point where they're like, uh, they, they got to get this beast. They're trying to like draw it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Bumblebee breaks the silence. He taunts the beast out loud being, you know, classic Bumblebee, just mouthy as F. Attention, Bonico monster. Come out with your hands over your... Well, you don't have a head, but you get the idea. And it, it works. Yeah. Uh, and the monster comes out and Prowl is left to distract it while being sorry take to the cave. I, I love this sequence too, because it's like, first you kind of get the establishment of like, well, don't let the barnacles touch you. It's like, oh, well, that that's, that's going right. to come into play real quick, real soon. But they do this thing where it's like action poses 
like ready to go yeah. and immediately takes the piss out of it when when bumblebee starts starts yelling and sorry for her action pose gets a uh, uh, gathers up a snowball because you know it's like you know bumblebee's <laughs> got his stingers out you know prowl's got his shurikens out and sorry's like well i i want to look badass too so she gets a a snowball and then you get this this thing of like the the sloughing off snow and prowl is just like do you mind with a with, with the <laughs> snowballs here and it and sure enough it, yeah. it's it's not sorry at all it's it's the snow uh slipping off the top of the mountain as the creature descends upon them and and the battle is which joined. is a scary cool shot too right like oh my god yeah. sort of that like the moon in the background and like yeah it's mm-hmm. it's it's very creepy and i'm glad you brought that up mike because uh you know the whole thing about if the bar don't let the barnacles touch you mm-hmm. That's a very like movie trope. Like now we have a movie monster rule yeah. that we can follow. And I think that's really good. That's a key to all horror, all horror in general. And even especially monster movie stuff like this. Absolutely. So from there, we immediately go into the temple of doom mine. Right. Right. Yeah. And this is where we get a callback to uh, Bumblebee's video game driving skills yep. actually paying off here. So now that that helps him like uh, maneuver through the mines. Yeah. yeah. And it, sort it of. becomes like a mine cart. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, his his skills help him sort of in that it just drags them around in circles. But it's a it's yeah. a very exciting sequence, though, where it's like, oh, man, because it's very fast paced as as they're they're driving around. It's like, turn left, turn right. <laughs> Right. And, and, you know, this is kind of a interesting play off the writing of this show, because, you know, since it is a callback to something that happened to be and you're like, this is how it's going to work out. This is the lesson they're going to learn from it. And then it doesn't. The actual lesson is like, you can't always believe, you know, everything that you learn from video games uh, there, Bumblebee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But outside Prowl is fighting the monster. And I think this is so freaking cool oh because gosh. there's this he does like this cool mega afterburner jet wash thing. And there's this gorgeous blue fire animation as it's shooting out of its vents. It's this very stylized anime fire that he uses to like scare off the, the monster. But ultimately it's bees stingers uh, that seem to be more formidable. Mm-hmm. So at some point, yeah, they're driving and mine carting through the mountain and then they burst out of the side and then all of a sudden bumblebee stingers, super powerful. Yeah. Uh, blast the monster away. He's got a great line here. He's he's like, this sure beats roasting swamp mellows. That's marshmallows. Oh, my God. Now we have another name for these things. Can I wrote down? Can they just call it what it is? Like, this is the dumbest <laughs> fucking joke. We know. Just call it what it is. You know now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a good line. So, yeah. So but but then we. Uh, our victory is short lived because now we see that Prowl's confrontation with the creature has left a mark, literally. And I, uh, you know, we we've talked about anime and anime tropes before. I so when you see Prowl start to emerge into um, his his zombiness. And he leads yeah. with the hand. the The first thing I thought was was Evil Dead, and I was like, "Why? Why am I thinking that?" Yeah, and and that's and that's all fine and cool. But I I got one better for us. It's um, are are you familiar with a classic anime Vampire Hunter D? Yeah, it, it's oh, the hand. Yeah. Right, right. Like the like the little mouth little dude in, in his hand. hand. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, so yeah, great. so so I wrote that uh, in all caps in my notes. Vampire Hunter D. 
<laughs> oh, that's a great reference. I'm really glad you've seen that. I thought, you know, I was on the only ones. No, that's awesome. I, I had a phase when I was a teenager. I, I mean, don't ask me about anything current, but like, you know, stuff from like, I don't know, like 1987 to 1993, I probably have a, a relative awareness of. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great one to have uh, any awareness. Yeah, of. super Definitely cool. Check it out if you haven't. Yeah. So no, but you're absolutely right. The little guy in the hand that that totally tracks. <laughs> and there's also this moment to me that's so sad. This is the part I hate of all zombie movies, love and hate, I guess, but yeah. mostly hate of just like that hero getting infected. Right. Yeah. And they played it really well in this. They played it just like that horror movie of like that that looming realization that, oh, no, he's infected. He's not one of us anymore. Get away from him. Well, it's funny, like when, when as the fight was happening, because I, I, I try to write my notes in real time that that's kind of how I end up with like, has sorry even been camping before? But like <laughs> I, you know, uh, in my notes, I wrote uh, fooling the creature with a hologram. And then I wrote in all caps as Prowl is fighting with it. I'm like, I'm like, don't let it touch you. <laughs> right, point. Right. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, it, it, this episode really captured our, you know, horror movie instincts. Yeah. Uh, I think it did really well. Um, and then this is another great uh, little writing moment for me is because B has this line where he assumes Prowl is strong enough to fight the infection. Yeah. You know, the, if anyone can do it, it's Prowl. And you totally think that's what's going to happen. That totally makes sense. That tracks with everything we know about Prowl. Nope, just turns them into a monster and <laughs> they have to run. Well, and then there's this litigation about sorry saying well maybe the key will heal him and in a bit of wisdom from bumblebee he's like maybe that's not such a good idea because potentially the key itself could then become infected uh yeah. with uh with with the space barnacles and i thought that that was a a interesting bit of awareness on bumblebee's part and they decide to run again and right. and they and specifically run instead of drive, which I thought I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Again, kind of like be cars. But I also like how that gets immediately addressed because like uh sorry's like, well, first we should drive, but then two, as yeah. they're not getting very far very fast, it's like Don't you come with snow tires? Right. Yeah. And this is again, a moment of like Bumblebee is just not that good at being a car. Like, right. Know, yeah. Maybe it's not his thing. Uh, it totally tracks what we know about him, yeah. even just in this episode. But yeah. So going back to Bumblebee, you said he had that moment of awareness about the key, which is really great. It does not transfer over into this scene because he starts heading for the city. He's just like, we got to get away from Prowl. Oh my gosh. Disregarding the fact that this ditches a coworker in the woods. Um, it also, you know, Sari makes the good point of like, but won't Prowl follow us and spread space barnacles all over Detroit? Right. Uh, Bumblebee hates this. He hates that this is a good point, but yeah, they can't leave the woods. And this is another great horror movie trope of like that moment you escape, but you're like, I have to go back and deal with it. Mm -hmm. uh, they could just get away, but nope. The right thing to do is defeat the monster. Right. To, to actually be big damn heroes. And yeah, and I, I will say, though, in Bumblebee's defense, his motivation is to reconnect with his team. 
you know, Prowl's going to, Prime's going to know what to do. Ratchet is going to know what to do. Not bulkhead, not sure. not so much, but it's like, you know, <laughs> let, let's, we, we need to tell the adults. It's like, you know, kids playtime is over. We need to get the adults involved. So at least like yeah. his intention is in the right place. It's just that he hasn't thought it all the way through it, at least, at least from my, my vantage point. Yeah. And, uh, but sorry, you know, her point turns out to be really good because yeah. the next time we see Prowl, when they go back, Prowl's uh, oh. been overtaken quite quickly uh, by this thing. And I thought that was really cool because they could have just had been like, here's the Barnacle Prowl character design. We're going to keep that till the end of the show. But no, it actually like takes him over even more. And the next time we see him, it's like, this is moving very quickly. Yeah. And and he's uh, I wrote in my notes, Prowl is caps with spaces fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is grotesque to say the least. He's got like the jagged teeth and and the sounds and stuff. It's like you know, very very Ugh. beastly, uh, incredibly upsetting. Oh, totally, doing exactly what the this movie genre is supposed to do. Exactly. So instead, they lure Prowl back to the cave and trap him in, in the cave, but. But they're on the wrong side of the cave. Those goofs. Uh, so Bumblebee triggers triggers the cave in, but they're unfortunately inside. So now they're kind of locked inside with Barnacle Prowl. And yeah, and this is where he uses his wheels to become the cool minecart ride for Sorry, like Temple of Doom style. Yeah, that had to be exciting for you, Mike. I know you liked when Bumblebee uses his wheels in different. Absolutely, modes. I I cheered for that. I thought that that was really cool. I wrote down rail car tires and like even just like the way he like stretches out to like line up with the with the rails and stuff. Very very cool. Yeah. I, I I really like that quite a lot. Yeah, I mean it's something they could have just treated it like a road right and like put them back in car mode yeah. this was something kind of fun and different and and again using that that the the medium of anime and animation mm -hmm. to yeah. do that so i appreciate it absolutely because he's he's not quite in vehicle mode he's not quite in robot mode he's like somewhere in the middle uh, which I, I I always like that kind of thing too, where it's like, you know, why can't a transformer kind of like do a little bit of that? Like I I like when like arms pop out of vehicles and and stuff like that. You know, it's it's yeah. it's it's zany enough. Um, so right, so right. I it seems like Bumblebee specifically in multiple different you know takes on Transformers gets away with that more than the other Transformers do. We like to see it from Bumblebee. We maybe don't like to see it from Prime. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a really fair way of putting it. We then get into what is my favorite joke of the episode. Hundred percent. Where where Sorry and Bumblebee are talking about these space barnacles, and it's like, what do we do? Well, well, the only way to get them off is to burn them off. And once you know it, conveniently right to like the the, the control <laughs> room for this whole mining facility, right there. Yeah. There's the fire hose. <laughs> and like, and like oh. they didn't even do the joke yet. And I'm already laughing when I see fire hose on the wall. Yeah. Cause like, even in the way I wrote it in my notes, I wrote all caps, fire hose exclamation point. And then, uh, sorry's he a plan is to like superheat the water and stuff. So like, I, I just, I just love it though. It's like th this thing where, uh, Bumblebee is so confident, like, like he's Kurt Russell now, like he, he is, yeah. he's gonna, he's gonna burn these barnacles right off a of prowl and everything's gonna be okay and he's like water i thought this thing's in fire hose what the hell right <laughs> well it's so funny because it it draws attention to yeah a fire hose has been called a f no one ever you know it should be called a water hose really or just yes. like uh, so it, it's a great universal joke there yeah. but it 
the the delivery could have been you know like a lot of stuff in the show a little more heavy-handed but instead they went very subtle and it's just like bumblebee's like eat fire <laughs> and it just water comes out and then sorry blushes at the joke yes. i don't know if you caught that oh, animation yeah. but she's like on his shoulder like <laughs> like this is too awkward even for me to comment on. it's like you're dumb son yeah <laughs> congratulations you played yourself <laughs> But at the same time, oh if you were an alien on this planet, it's our fault for naming it something incorrectly, you know? Exactly. I totally get it. I mean, it, it's, it's again, it's like Mirage says in Rise of the Beast. It's like, I'm an alien. You know, it's like he doesn't say, like, I'm a robot. I They, they are aliens first and foremost that yeah. happen to be shape-shifting robots. Right, so right, right. That so so the the fire hose doesn't play out the way Bumblebee <laughs> planned, but it does give Sari the idea to drag the hose into this little side room, and then they can make kind of a they can make a fire hose right. by superheating the water that comes through it. And I thought that was really smart, which is pretty brilliant. Yeah, right. So they go in the room, uh, they close the doors, they shut them behind them, and Sari needs Bee's stinger to jolt the machine back to life. But uh oh, once you know it. This, this this legitimately scared me yes. because now she's locked in the room defenseless with her last friend having been barnacled. Yep. Bumblebee? Uh, yeah, that, that is a bummer. And so they're trapped in the room together. Sorry has no choice. She doesn't really have a weapon as she kind of alluded to earlier, um, but she's falling back to water. She used the snowball earlier and now she's using the water hose. This is a cool moment because it kind of had like a Star Wars feel to it mm -hmm. to me because like the force works in mysterious ways, like the water works right at least just long enough for her to to move forward. Um, right. So she sprays Bumblebee with the water hose. It actually gives her just enough time to kind of fumble around and heat, heat the machine up with using her key. Um, well, and, and but prior to that, though she goes to her first go-to and just starts like ramming the key in there and it doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. And, oh, right. and she gets pissed off at the key to the pack to the fact where she like whacks it against the console. And she's like, you know, thanks a lot. You guys like she's, she's mad at prowl and B she's mad at the key. Again, this is a, this is a real Mike Seibert at 15 situation. Just like just <laughs> mad at the world irrationally. And like, she has like the, this, this, whole rant about the key what you can bring an autobot back to life but you can't light a fire stupid key right and that's uh that's interesting i don't know right. if the if the keys got feelings but if it did it would be it's like what what does it now that the allspark has imprinted on sorry the way that sorry has imprinted on the allspark and that the key is the conduit to that connection what happens when she kind of like turns on it? Is is it like is it a situation where like uh, Thunderwing gets gets the Autobot Matrix in the Marvel comics? You know that kind of thing. It's just like it, it's just very odd that that she lashes out in anger against the key. But but yeah, like you said, like it um it is a very Star Wars thing where she learns incorrectly or correctly that like banging the key against something actually works because that's what kicks over the coils she she hits it with the key so she doesn't actually like use the key to to activate it like there's no yeah. glow from the from the key being used it's just brute force like at this point the the key the key's only function is to be a blunt object at this point it may as well have been a rock right yeah yeah 
but whatever, you know, it works. Yeah. It gets the machine yeah. going. So that's good. Uh, you know what? It did kind of remind me of Daniel in the original 86 movie when he's trying to get the, uh, the exo suit, yeah. like the, the burners working on that. There was kind of that moment of like, come on, come on. Yeah. Like, and yeah, it works. yeah. And then you get this beautiful shot of sorry, kind of in the glow of the heated coil. Yeah. Like I really like that. It's a shot from inside the machine. The coil's got this cool heat uh, animation to it. Sorry's like lit up uh, by it. It's just a really cool scene. And then to go even further, so now that she's created the sauna and she sort of super soaks her yeah. robot buddy with, with the superheated fire hose, then you get this cool animation of like the heated room. Yeah. Right? It's almost like they almost animated it like a camera went into a steamy room and fogged up. Yeah. And I thought that was such a cool uh, little gimmick. Yeah. It's got like this, this uh, haze to it, a, 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 a foggy gaze to it. Really, really neat, yeah. really neat effect as like, all, yeah, all the, well, well used. Oh, oh totally. Um, and then, yeah, as, as the barnacles just like just plop off as you just see like these, upsetting looking purple eyeball looking things just just hit yeah. the floor the the sound design in this episode is is really good as well very very uh very effective yeah yeah so it's all worked uh prowl and b were cleansed by purifying fire as we learned yeah, and yeah. Uh, all is all is well out in the woods um so i love this gag though where it's like you know they so obviously what once once you've become infected by space barnacles uh, apparently your your memory just shuts off or something because there there is a little bit of like wait a sec where are we what's going on oh and sorry why are you all wet right <laughs> so then we cut back to the uh, autobot base and uh we learn sorry has caught a cold mike <laughs> this is the oldest trope in it. cartoon history how i wrote down how long did you think this was actually how a cold worked like this is you oh, know, yeah. I thought for so long, like, this is how you catch a cold. Germs, shimmers. Yeah, no, it's, I, you know, it's literally being sometimes cold. Sometimes I still think this is how it works. Yes, right, right. Right. Yeah. So like, I, I, I do love this though, because she, she's like, we, we, we smash cut to the Autobot base and she's like mid story. And, uh, uh so I, I like, I like that trope as well. So she's bundled up. She's like, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, drinking hot soup or something like that. Um, like she, she says something to the effect of like, meanwhile, I'm stuck riding home with no dry clothes and an Autobot whose car mode doesn't have a heater. <laughs> Bumblebee doesn't have a heater. Oh. <laughs> and it reminds me of the thing that you said earlier about like, it's, oh man, it goes back to this whole thing about transformers and vehicle modes and whether they are those vehicles or if they are just masquerading as those vehicles, that, that, that kind of thing. And one of the things that you've said, uh, Michael Andrews, and we've said here in this show is that, that Bumblebee isn't, particularly good at being a car so it's like you know right. we made the joke earlier about like the the cigarette lighter adapter and you know not being able to plug stuff in but like i never thought about this before but if you are a alien robot masquerading as a car and you know using wheels and and you know using that functionality and and duplicating that aesthetic you can make a radio for Captain Fanzone to play the Soundwave song as as <laughs> as you're on the way to confront the headmaster, but like I I can understand why it wouldn't even occur to Bumblebee to either emulate or duplicate or in some way create a a heater inside the car because 
what is that function for? You know, it's not for transportation. Right. It's like, what, what would it even be for? But it, it was, it was, I didn't even know what winter was as a concept, you know, until this hits. Right. Exactly. And this, this is their, their first encounter with weather. Um, when, when you think about it and like seasons and, and things like that, cause I mean, I don't know what the weather yeah. is on Cybertron, but I, I'm sure there's no snow obviously, because l- look how, uh, fixated all of the characters are, um, about it. You know, Prowl appreciates the, the serenity and, and, you know, Bumblebee thinks it, thinks it's a nuisance. Right. Right. So he doesn't have winter tires and he doesn't have a heater. He is not a winterized vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Optimus says something to the effect here. He's he's saying that like you showed a lot of courage and ingenuity. Sorry, but then like <laughs> this this is so silly. This uh, this <laughs> this coda is pretty silly, um, or at least yeah. the the pre coda. I guess that this you know it's funny. Like here in TFA, they love giving us cold opens, but they also love giving us double endings as well. So I, I think that yeah. I think that is a True. I think that is a fun trope in the show. Uh, but anyway, it's like so so sorry is like telling telling the story and she is just sneezing the whole time. And Optimus says something to the effect of, well, shrug. Hopefully you'll stop backfiring soon. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> come on. So they are cars. Yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> back and forth. Right. Here, but and, and, and that's yeah, a great. Bit. That's like a stage three groaner. I mean, like that is like god tier dad joke yeah but kind of fits coming from optimus exactly at least he's at least he's trying for god's sake yeah i mean it's way more fitting coming from optimus than anybody else because he he gets to kind of inhabit that even though it's young optimus he still gets to kind of uh hang on to like that boomer dad kind of kind of thing like i feel like he can get away with uh uh with these kinds of jokes but it is also interesting where with the sneezing you also get like sorry blowing her nose and and bumblebee is just grossed out by this i don't even want to know what that's called (laughs) yeah yeah it is not his thing at all uh but even though she's kind of in like this in this gross state um she still has a moment to be surprisingly insightful because she as they're talking about this beast you know she almost takes a note from prowl's book here because hey this is something that was technology and organic just like our team um that was kind of a beautiful moment but also does it hint at something else very possibly because yeah then we get like a post-credit stinger again with but before the credits. Yeah, well, and I was going to say before that because like I I I really wanted to touch on this before uh uh before we get to to that scene. There's a so Bumblebee is telling Prowl he's like, "Yeah, man, you still owe me a, a new media player." And they have this this <laughs> this delightful discussion that ties back to the earlier part of the episode where it's like, "Have you learned nothing from your time in the woods?" Yeah. I learned we should pave it over as soon as we get the chance. Surely you don't blame all of nature for a few space barnacles. You don't see my game player turning everyone into zombies, do you? Actually. And they kind of like wink at the camera about like, yeah, man, these these electronics turn you into zombies just as much as space barnacles do, which I. Oh, yeah, I, I found. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a nice little moment there. too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, and yeah, man, just just a little bit of social commentary in there also just just sprinkle right. it in like just a a little bit of seasoning just a little bit of seasoning <laughs> yeah. just to just to make the meal that much more tasty 
Right, right. Well, and then, so then we move on from there. That could have been a very good uh, little ending, a little happy note to end on. But, but you know, we're this close to the end of the season. We got to get that other, that other moment in there. Let's go. So we go back to the woods. We go back to the snowy forest. Um, We see a truck driving through it. And we find that the true source of the Cybertronian signal, the thing that was throwing them off the whole time, it wasn't the barnacles or it could have been, but it was also the fact that there was something marked with a Decepticon symbol out in the woods. And Sumdak finds it and he's like, oh, there it is. Megatron's going to be very happy about this. And it's like, holy shit, what are we in for? Well, and, and what a reveal, too. It's like, first of all, you you don't know what's become of the creature because basically the 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 barnacle creature, as we saw him, was defeated earlier. You know, uh, uh, Prowl defeats him at the cost of being infected, uh, infected himself. But that creature goes off the side of the mountain and into the water below. And it's just like, well, you know, so so much for that guy you know, evil, evil is defeated, but at what cost that kind of thing. So you forget about it. And it's like, well, wait a sec. Does that, does that stand to reason that that creature is still out there? So the scene pushes in, you, you see the shovel hand. So you know that the it's, it's the creature we've been, we've been dealing with. And then just like this, uh, I, I don't know if it's snow or barnacle goo or something, but anyway, something slides off of it and then you see the the big decepticon symbol but even more interesting than that because again i haven't seen this before so i see this truck and i was like what is happening i wrote in my notes decepticon symbol all caps what uh the truck rolls in and it's like a it's an actual reveal when isaac Sumdak yeah. comes out of it. i'm like what is happening and yeah. and he's just he's got this line he's like oh goody megatron will be so surprised and I'm like, no, you fool. You've doomed us all. <laughs> you know, going full Sarah Connor there. He's like, he'll kill us all. He'll kill us all. <laughs> well, yeah. And as uh, you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert, you're going to see that the the next episode picks up exactly where this kind of left off and the sentiment. So it's a really nice, it's a really nice uh, bookend to this episode to pick up where the next one leaves off. It's a really good way of putting it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that is the end of the episode. We did it. We did it. We did it. Yeah. And I looked through TF wiki, so you didn't have to Mike as per my new thing, but you know what? I'm, I hope you didn't look to at it at all because it's lame and full of spoilers is what I wrote down hard. pass. The trivia section is all spoilers, uh, like heavy spoilers. And I was like, God, I hope Mike didn't look at Mm -hmm. this. So, so yeah, stay out of there. Stay out of, stay out of the internet. (laughs) Danger, danger. Uh, but the one cool thing from it that I do like and I never noticed before is that they do the um, foreign titles, right? The foreign episode titles. And I thought that was really oh. cool. So most of the most of the uh, other country titles were some sort of like nature calls or the call of nature. But the French title was In the Woods. Fun. And the uh, Japanese title was The Space Monster That Invokes Death! Exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> No, that that that's good. I, you know, uh, uh, my buddy uh, Anthony Brucalia, tfu.info, is currently going through uh, the headmasters, and so you've got the American title and you've got the Japanese title, and it and it and it's funny to to compare and contrast those. Yeah. Oh, we should have had him on for the headmaster episode. He needs to like, maybe he needs to add that to his uh, the Transformers animated headmaster episode and just throw that into his rewatch. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Just to kind of <laughs> see his take on it. 
Oh, man. All right, so it is time to get into uh, Mike Seibert's G1 score. And this one, um, as as we've established previously, I, I go through my watch through and I, I assign a G1 score. And then I've been known to adjust it through the discussion. And, and that's happened this time. Uh, it was very low. So basically, you get some familiar colored construction vehicles and you get a stocky studly uh salt and pepper union boy but that's really <laughs> about it so my my first score on the g1 scale was a 2.3 but as we talked about the creature uh the the space barnacle monster and the allusions to character design for octopunch i bumped it up a little bit so my final g1 score is 2.7 all right. I'll accept that. I'll accept the little bump up. Yeah, you can't deny the resemblance to Cosmic Rust in this. So I really think that needs to play into your score. I agree. Yeah, because, I mean, it really is a a space plague of sorts. Um, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So we did it. We did the thing. All right. <laughs> we, we did the thing. We did the thing. So now let's uh, let's uh, let's see what the mailman has for us. All right. So, yeah. So dipping into the mailbag, we start with what is swiftly becoming my favorite bit of listener feedback. And it's from the YouTube comment section. And, you know, we're we're. Uh, obviously primarily a audio podcast, but I use a service called uh, Headliner that I've paired with the podcast RSS feed. The only reason I'm going this deep into it is because, you know, sometimes podcasters listen to podcasts and we kind of pick up tips and tricks. And I like to share tips and tricks for folks that might be doing podcasts as well. But what Headliner does is it takes your audio RSS feed and converts your episodes to video. So we post Post the audio episodes on YouTube because it automatically posts. And what I've discovered very quickly, very early on as uh, as this podcast grew, is that that kind of became a hub for folks to put really cool uh, insight and conversations and comments about the episode. So if, oh, yeah. um, if I, I don't listen to podcasts on YouTube, like I, I, um, actually I listen on Google podcasts and listen on my phone when I'm either driving or out walking, but some other folks consume podcasts by putting it on YouTube and having it on while they're at work or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's more than one way to consume podcasts, but I just wanted to call attention to the YouTube because like, if you're not, uh, subscribed to our YouTube channel. That's that's another great way to get the episodes uh, very quickly. And then, as I said, there there's a very um, healthy comment section as well. So, what a twist that uh, our YouTube comments are good. Typically, that's where you dig into to find the dregs of society talking about awful things. But apparently, it's working for us. Don't curse it, man. Yeah, Don't no, curse jinx. it because because yeah. I'm just waiting for some like rotten G oneers to to just be like, oh man, well you know TFA sucks and you guys suck and this guy says um too much and you know all, it's almost all- like these guys have never seen enough of Transformers lore and we're gonna be like, yep, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That that's the whole point. Learning experience. 
but I, I want to start with, uh, we're, we're going to kind of go uh, forward and or backward, then forward, and then back again. Um, I want to start with some feedback that we got on our episode on Headmaster, which is kind of a controversial episode. It's not everybody's favorite episode. I certainly had strong feelings about it, but we also had some really deep discussions about the way the plot turns out and really kind of like a, a discussion about what defines uh, robotic life. Uh, because like that, that episode challenges that, that notion in a few ways. So I want to start with a, a comment from uh, the perfect pixel. And uh, they said on our headmaster episode, I discovered this podcast this week and I am loving it. Exclamation point. Personally, I've never found this episode to be that weird, both because I prefer the transtector concept from the headmasters. Speaking of the, the Japanese exclusive series, the headmasters, you know, in parentheses where the heads can even switch bodies uh, mm -hmm. to the more uh, U.S. mind meld. And because Megatron is a severed head during the first season. Let me read that oh. sentence again. Um I never found this episode to be that weird, uh, both because I prefer the transector concept from the headmasters where the heads can even switch bodies to the U.S. mind meld and because Megatron is a severed head during the first season. But hearing new perspectives is interesting. Plus, I love Masterson, although I'm not <laughs> sure if it's totally ironic or not. And that's and that's kind of where where some of that is as well. They uh, they also put in a an additional comment. Um, so I, I'm wondering if they're commenting as they're they're listening or watching the yeah, episode. Yeah, I think that's half the fun of the YouTube comments section, right? Real time. Yeah, real cool stuff. So uh, Perfect Pixel writes, I'm loving this podcast so far, exclamation point. Can't wait until you get into season two and three. I do want to throw in my two cents on something mentioned in the discussion from the beginning of the episode. I don't see the regular robots of Detroit as being sentient beings like the Autobots are. It's a notable event that the Dinobots and Soundwave become alive and self-aware. So I don't see everyday robots like the reporter robot being quote unquote alive. But of course, that's just my take and I'm enjoying the discussion regardless. So I think that's, um, I, I think that's terrific feedback there. And I think that does... Uh, kind of give me perspective because like, like something I had said, it's like, well, basically, you know, robots are alive or they aren't. And I think that that's maybe kind of a two uh, black and white binary perspective and that, you know, maybe, and, and it is certainly more nuanced. I do still think that the uh, creature that is sacrificed uh, to shove in the 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 rods and becomes the melted yeah. art is still very upsetting and problematic. But I, with regards to uh, reporter bot and tutor bot and like all these other characters, yeah, I mean that it is a good reminder that these, while they are um, automatons, they're not life the way that. Uh, the Autobots are, and even the Dinobots and Soundwave, who are imbued with a uh, Cybertronic life through through the AllSpark or the Key or or however however that happens to happen. So, um, excellent. Point. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that, that there is sort of this layer of like they're not sentient life. However, just to complicate things a little bit, uh, to remind you, all of mm. this, all of this autonomous technology in New Detroit comes from Sumdac who reverse engineered Megatron uh, and basically, you know, cracked the, the genome of the Transformers to create this technology. So... I don't know. Still kind of a slippery slope, if you ask me. Yeah, the the jury is still out. And uh, uh, keeping it with our episode on Headmaster, our uh, best good friend, uh, Matthew Barbario, commented on the video as well. Another great one, Mike's exclamation point. This is depth. This is definitely one of my least favorite episodes of the series, and Headmaster is my least favorite human villain. I had a feeling you wouldn't like him, Mr. Seibert. (laughs) <laughs> and he would be correct. Um, it was cool to hear that Derek J. Wyatt worked on Mr. Incorporated. I didn't used to like that show and it has grown on me over the years, but character design is always something I did like about it. I like the new mailbag song, unlike the YouTube algorithm. Uh, the only <laughs> one better would be the original mail song from Blues Clues, LOL exclamation point. <laughs> oh man, that's that that's perfect. So so I um I, I have another bit of feedback here, and this is gonna tie in. Uh let me let me scroll in through my um uh, through my notes here. Um I, I'm gonna take a random tweet that we that that uh that we saw and tie it into this whole uh, uh mailbag song thing um uh back on august 2nd um uh somebody uh the lord of the torbs um at uh, little miss tfp uh posted randomly not at us but posted at random points of the year i think about the communist baby from transformers animated to which of <laughs> course uh, our our good friend Lita, who who has really popularized Comrade Kid, yeah. and said, I, I think there needs to be a dedicated episode just about Comrade Kid. It's a rich vein for deep lore. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, to which awesome. uh, uh, later on, uh, Matthew Barbario, speaking of, um, I'm definitely curious whether Mike Seibert liked him or not. Headmaster is one of my least favorite uh, of the human villains. This is a tweet. Um, even Comrade Kid who we all know is the ultimate villain of the story and pulling all of the strings behind the scenes is better. So, um, so legislation about comrade kid, I, you know, I've, um, I've been recently tinkering with adding new songs, new, uh, uh, audio elements uh to kind of spice up the show a little bit and i uh like uh a couple episodes ago i think it was i think it was i think it was headmaster i don't remember but like i had put in uh, when we were going to jump right in um at at like the 40 minute mark i put in a little uh pointer sisters a little uh little uh jump for my love there and it uh and it was flagged by youtube and it says it's partially blocked in wait for it russia Hmm. just russia so then later i i find this i so i i've wanted a mailbag song for a while but i I kept beating my head to it like i put in like a a lame simpsons reference where like ned flanders gives homer a letter and it it didn't quite feel right for what i wanted so i went on this weird deep dive youtube deep dive trying to trying to find a um an appropriate song 
And I found this song from like some Nickelodeon show that I, I don't even remember off the top of my head. It's not anything I was familiar with, but it's called I Sent You a Letter. And <laughs> it's, you know, it's 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 delightfully catchy. Um, you uh, you just heard it a little bit earlier. But anyway, it's like, you know, it's it's. um you know, it's jaunty and bubbly, which is something I was looking for. But I also got a uh, email notification on the two mics, two furious, and you can write us uh, two mics, two furious uh, with the number twos at uh, at gmail dot com uh, to send us your feedback there. But they, uh, I got another uh, copyright claim. Your video has been blocked in some countries. Um, and I look into it and it's uh, bulkheadless, a.k.a. too fast, too weird, too much, too furious, uh, copyrighted content. I sent you a letter. Blocked countries. Wait for it. Russia. Hmm. Again. I don't think this is a coincidence. Now, granted, I, I am kind of uh, tempting fate by using copyrighted material that does not belong to us. But um, but it's you know, it's it's for entertainment value. So that that's that's kind of how I, I justify oh, it's that. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of not OK, but it's also kind of OK. Um, but anyway, I just I, I just found it fascinating that the 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 uh tendrils of comrade kid the influence of comrade kid is is making it into our into our music selections well it's almost like uh in the episode that we just watched where the cybertronian signal they think is coming from this it's actually coming from this part out in the woods like maybe we're secretly getting flagged because uh, they don't like us mentioning comrade kid so we're getting pinged in russia Exactly, exactly. This anti-comrade kid legislation will not stand. Just right. <laughs> Dania, that means goodbye. <laughs> Here's a word oh, yeah. and he kills. <laughs> um, awesome. so, so yeah, so we're, we're uh, with that, I will uh, cinch up the mailbag closed. Um, we will have a lot of feedback in our next episode. Uh, we're we're going to go back to some of the YouTube comments, including some other new fans that that have uh, that have found us recently that we're going to give uh, uh, shouts out to, and maybe we'll uh, we'll revisit the titular wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald as well. But I think that <laughs> that will uh, that that'll wrap it up for uh, the the mailbag, which means it is time, my friend. It's time. Yes. Uh, let 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 me go over to the other side of the room. We're going to dim the lights. You can hear the music coming up now, and it is. Uh, folks, it is time for the ever-popular Michael Anders preview haiku, a pre-coup, if you will, or preview yeah. of our next episode. Beat them bongos, folks, because here it comes. We got a doozy. Sumdeck goes too far, reigniting an old flame. The end begins now. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Chills. The end of the road begins. Yeah, <laughs> and it sure does. Oh, Mikey, this is a big one. We gotta, we're gonna have a lot to talk about next time. Oh my goodness! The, I mean, it's it's the beginning of the end. I just, I, you know, it's so weird because when we first started this project, I. I was like, oh man, it's, uh, you know, there, there's like 16 episodes per season. So that's like, like 52 episodes. We're, we're going to be doing this for like two to three years or, or whatever. And it, and I felt, <laughs> I, I kind of felt, uh, daunted by it. I was like, oh my goodness. But now, now that we're here, 
on uh, on September 15th, my birthday. I, uh, I, I'm i just like, what do you mean we're almost done with season one? It's like, no, I, I want I want this to last forever. I need I, I need more season one episodes. I can't. I can't, I can't believe we're, we're, uh, we're almost there. It's I, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, it <laughs> goes so much quicker than I thought. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, they it's going so very- fast. <laughs> really does it really does uh but yeah so that that kind of concludes our um our discussion on transformers animated season one episode 14 nature calls and um and yeah i guess uh i i guess i i'm gonna i'm gonna pack up and go get my hair cut and hunt for some toys and oh another thing i i, I kind of forgot is like so uh you know obviously you can't see on the video but i uh you know jumping fandoms entirely i'm wearing my uh my lucky seattle seahawks uh, uh t-shirt over here it is a blue friday and i i am a fan of my seattle seahawks and one of the one of the random factoids i wanted to share with uh, uh with you folks before before i got out of here it's uh so my birthday is september 15th i also share the same birthday with seattle seahawks head coach pete carroll we have the same birthday yeah. getting getting that getting that uh, uh aggressive list maker virgo energy <laughs> in there but the uh you know we talk a lot on this show about like holy grail collectibles and i you know in addition to being into uh into my side swipes one of one of my other weird uh things is i i like the the signature dad shoe the um the nike air monarchs the the other dad shoes that aren't the new balance ones that your dad mows the lawn in i do not mow the lawn in my i i mean i collect these like they were jordans or something i i have (laughs) i have four different pairs and it's like i've got them in i've got them in white i've got them in red i've got them in blue but um uh, a few years ago, I learned that Seahawks coach Pete Carroll wears the exact same shoes, uh, the Nike Air Monarchs, and he, he's even been roasted on national TV before. It's like, oh, look at this dude in his dad's shoes, but uh, which, of course, only galvanizes it more. Right. Um, but Nike custom makes his shoes for him so that he oh, has yeah. so the traditional Nike Air Monarch is a, a white leather with a silver Nike swoosh on it. Pete Carroll's the swoosh is action green, the the accent color for uh, for the Seahawks. So it's like this this ah. this bright neon green, and on the tongue of the shoe, it has stitched in uh, the saying "Always compete," which is which is one of Pete Carroll's um, uh, sayings as well. So you know, kind of fostering that that spirit of competition. So anyway, like like one of my like holiest of holy grails is to actually get a a pair of those Air Peets, but they make them custom for him. They are not for retail sale. Um, I know I have sent letters and tweets (laughs) and emails and I'm just like, you don't understand. I will pay top dollar for these top dollars. So, so I, I don't know what the Venn diagram is between transformers fans and football fans because that that's a very narrow sliver, but it's, it's probably an even narrower sliver of transformers fans that are football fans that are also sneaker heads. So it's like, but anyway, if, if you happen to live in that very tiny narrow sliver and, uh, it's, it's my birthday. 
Um, if, if you got a, if you got a lead on some air peats, I would be eternally grateful. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to manifest that. I'm just trying yeah. to put that out into the universe because like, you know, to bring it all the way back around because I'm so notorious in the fandom for having my sideswipe collection, my buddy, Jason from the Cracktastic podcast knew to be on the lookout for it. And it's, uh, it's very satisfying when your friends know what you're into and and are on the lookout for you it's 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 humbling it's uh and it's and it's 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 a very warm homey feeling it's 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 great to have friends on the internet yeah and and pete carroll if you're listening to the show like you have been every week uh ah. please send send some air peats to our, our boy mike please Sanders. please <laughs> That's it. That's that. That's all I got. Let's uh, tell you what I'm. I'm gonna. Uh, you know, my my sweetie is gonna take me out for a nice steak dinner. But like, you know, maybe when I'm at the at the steakhouse, I might eat some pizza. Who can eat some pizza? There you go, baby. Steaks before mistakes. That's what I always say. Uh... <laughs> well, happy birthday, Mikey! Great episode. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, buddy. Thank, thanks for being my buddy. buddy. Want to be a guest on the show? Send us an email, 2mikes2furious at gmail.com. Interact with us on social media. You can follow 2mikes2furious on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 2mikes2furious. We are required to engage in a ritual known as the sing-along. That's great. I haven't sung around the campfire since I was a boy in Iowa. What are we going to sing? What, Bones, what, what are we going to sing? How about Camptown Raisins? Pack up your troubles. Are we leaving, Captain? It's a song title, Spock. Moon over Rigel 7. Row, row, row your boat. Row, row, row your boat. I love row. Do, do you know row, 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 row your boat? That song did not come up in my research, Captain. The lyrics are, are very simple. It's... Um, uh, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Uh, the doctor and I will start it off, and then when we give you a signal, you jump in. Doctor, if you please. <clears throat> mm, don't say I didn't warn you. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Row, merrily, row, merrily, row merrily, merrily, gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Light. Come on, Spock, why didn't you jump in? I was trying to comprehend the meaning of the words. It's a song, you green-blooded Vulcan. You sing it. The words aren't important. What's important is that you have a good time singing it. Oh, I am sorry, Doctor. We'll be having a good time. God, I liked him better before he died. All right, all right, all right. Let's call it a night. Just you, let's let's, let's, let's go to bed and just let's get some sleep.